Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's good to be here, and it's kind of nerve-wracking as well, if I'm going to be honest with you. So God said this would be a house of prayer. So join me as we say another prayer this morning. Lord God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be able to share the things that you have put on my heart for such a long time. I pray, Father, that you would just fill me fresh with your spirit, that the words that would come from my mouth would be your words. I pray that uh, all those that listen, Lord, will hear you, will hear your spirit speaking to their hearts and not me. Open our hearts to be receptive, each one of us that we may be changed and transformed as we leave this place this morning to walk closer with you, to love you more dearly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's unbelievable that 2023 is finished and we are now embarking on 2024, entering a new year. And many times we... Think about making resolutions, what we're going to do different in this year. A lot of times it's revolving around exercise and eating and various things, or we set up goals and plans, and we're going to do this and this and this, and by February, a lot of those things have gone down by the wayside. Um, lots of troubles have occurred this year. There's been a lot of terrible things, natural disasters and lots of wars, and especially what's going on in Israel. It's caused a lot of people to really think about end times, and is this the time? Is Jesus going to be coming back? And for me, those kind of conversations seem kind of futile because the script, scriptures tell us clearly that no one knows when Jesus will return but we need to be ready for his return. That hour that he comes will come like a thief in the night, and it'll be like when the flood came during Noah's day. People were laughing and drinking and celebrating and had no idea, and then that flood came. And so it'll be the same when Jesus comes back. Everyone will see him, but we don't know when that will be. So rather than making New Year's resolutions, I would say, Think about whether or not we are ready if Jesus were to come back now. Are we ready? This past year, I've done a lot of memorials. And it causes us to think about our mortality when we attend a, a, a memorial. We're celebrating the person's life and grieving over that life. But then we think about, well, what if that was me? And a lot of times we sit there and we think, well, where would I be going? Can we stay with 100% assurance that you know where you're going if Jesus came, if it was your day to go? So as a minister, this is one of the times that I have the opportunity um, to talk about the hope that Jesus gives us at those memorials, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and to ask people to pause and think about their own lives and the commitment they have made to following Christ. And if their life was ending, what would happen? So this has led me this last year to think a lot about this and to be concerned over the people, everyone that sits here in these pews, everyone that graces the door of this church, and I feel like the Lord has put this on my heart to talk about, are we ready? Are we ready? 
if Jesus was to come in four weeks, if we would know that he was going to arrive in four weeks, what would you do, what would changes would you make in your life? There should be no changes made. We should be living each and every day as though Jesus was going to come back in any moment, glorifying him and living a life that glorifies God every day. We celebrated Advent, the coming of Jesus, his birth into the world. And there's another word I learned, parousia, which is also Greek for Advent, but it talks about when Jesus is coming back, his second coming. And so our passage today is the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say thanks be to God. So a little bit of background for us on this passage. This is during Jesus' final week. He's already made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and this is Tuesday of Holy Week. And at the end of chapter 22, the confrontation with Jesus' opponents is brought to an end. In chapter 23, he addresses his followers, actual and potential followers. And in Jesus' final discourse to his disciples, which is Matthew 23 through 25, it's actually a judgment discourse. Chapter 23 is often seen as a separate speech with woes against the Pharisees and religious leaders for all their hypocrisy. This discourse is called the Olivet Discourse, and it was given on the Mount of Olives. Olives. And chapter 24 and 25 are seen distinctly as eschatological discourse. Eschatological means doctrine of the end times. So Jesus here is telling his disciples about the future, about his return, and about remaining watchful. He uses different parables to explain what it will be like to wait and be ready for those who aren't prepared and the consequences of their unpreparedness. 
So rather than being seen as two separate speeches, what, one of which condemns outsiders and the other imparting eschatological instruction, the whole discourse functions as a warning to insiders to live an authentic life devoted to deeds of justice and mercy in light of the eschatological victory of God and judgment on present unfaithfulness. Jesus has already overcome Satan. Jesus wins. And if we're his followers, we win also. But we need to make sure of that. So in our parable, there's some allegorical symbolism. The bridegroom is Christ. His coming is a delayed parousia, that delayed advent. The wise and foolish virgins, or bridesmaids, are faithful and unfaithful disciples. And the final scene symbolizes the eschatological judgment that comes in the end. Other commentators draw some symbolism from the lamps and the torches, the wedding feast, why the bridegroom came late, or the meaning of their falling asleep, but that really detracts away from the true meaning of this parable. The focus is the preparedness versus unpreparedness and the consequence of being unprepared. So we have no idea when Jesus will return. Now is a time for preparation, not then. Then it will be too late. So I'm not giving this message to judge anyone, but to encourage. It's a hard thing to talk about. I feel like it's a difficult topic to ask people where do they stand with Jesus? Do they have a relationship with him? Do you know him? But the scriptures tell us that even the demons believe. So just acknowledging that belief isn't enough. We have to hand our lives completely over to Jesus Christ and follow him in his ways as we live in this world and not leave it for something later on down the road and enjoy life as it is right now. Um, when I was in youth ministry, we, we used to hear things about, well, you could come to church and be in church every Sunday and not necessarily be a Christian. Just the same way as you could sit in your garage as often as you like, but that wouldn't make you a car. <laughs> so um, we can come and check off the box, I went to church, and then go out and do everything completely opposite of what Christ calls us to do not be kind and loving, to not be merciful, to not be forgiving. Um, as a pastor or servant of the Lord in ministry, I feel that it's our responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ of the utmost importance and discipling and teaching people what it means to actually follow Jesus Christ. Telling the truth making sure that people know so that on judgment day, we would not hear from Jesus, go away, I never knew you. Those are hard words to hear. It reminds me of another mountaintop sermon where Jesus sits to teach the crowds and disciples. That was the Sermon on the Mount when he first came and preached to so many thousands of people. And he talked about the Beatitudes and all those lessons that he gave were so, so countercultural then. And those lessons following Jesus is still countercultural today. 
But that was a time when he was telling everyone about what it would be like to follow him, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, what it takes to live that kind of life, what it means to give up yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That sermon began with blessings. This sermon, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, begins with woes and warnings and consequences of not following Jesus. But interestingly, it was pointed out in one of the commentaries that I read that each of them close with a speech about where false disciples say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus responds to them, I never knew you, or go away, I don't know you. In chapter 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And at the end of chapter 25, it says, Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I grew up in the church but for me, it was more like family. And I would say that I believed in Jesus. I believed that he died for me, but I wasn't living a life that represented that. And as I grew up and went on my own, I did things that I thought were good. Um, in church, we ha I was like the social chairman, and we did fundraisers to raise money for orphans and things like that, and I felt like I'm a good person, you know? Why wouldn't I go to heaven? And when my husband left, the Lord told me, you have always put me on the back burner of your life. You have never followed me. And everything changed in my life, and I did a complete about face and gave everything to him. And when I read this verse in chapter 7, Sorry. <laughs> Where it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I thought, if Jesus had come, would I have gone to heaven? Did I know him? Never read my Bible? Well, hardly ever. It didn't mean anything to me. And now everything had changed. So when I think of this, the consequences of not being prepared, my heart goes out to everyone who's sitting in the same place as I was, as I was at that time. That thinks because they come to church and they're basically a good person and they do nice things, that they're going to heaven. Jesus warns us over and over in that discourse about not being prepared. He warns us of several other places. Theologian D.A. Carson says, the foresight and preparedness of the wise virgins cannot benefit the foolish virgins when eschatological crisis dawns, preparedness can neither be transferred nor shared. 
Saving grace is not transferable. Preparation is not transferable. We can share the gospel. We can tell you the truths that we learn from the Bible, but that's not your own personal faith. You have to seek after the Lord yourself and open your heart to him and follow his desire and his will for your life. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's something I used to say to my kids. And it's food for thought. Would there be enough evidence to convict us? On this eve of New Year, I urge you to think about where you stand. Do you know Jesus personally? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you following his will as he describes to us in his word? Are you denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him? Or are you doing your own thing, thinking that you have plenty time to make things right? Don't be like those foolish bridesmaids who were not ready for when the bridegroom came. I'm going to do something that's not normal for us as Presbyterians, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and you want to do that, you feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit on your heart, pray this prayer. And if you want to recommit your life to following Jesus wholeheartedly, you can join in this prayer as well. Lord God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. We recognize that we are sinners and we need your grace and mercy. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We give ourselves to you wholeheartedly to follow Jesus in all our ways, following your will. And Lord, for those of us that have been doing our own thing and not really thinking about our commitment to you, I pray that you would open our hearts afresh to follow Jesus with everything that we have, to obey your word, to put others before ourselves, to love with the love of Christ, to be a reflection of him in everything we do and say, everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.